Greetings and welcome back to another and ongoing series of Shirman Dafyomi. My name is Yitzchak at Shalom and now we are beginning the final section of Masachat Sotah, the seventh chapter, uh, which uh, together with the eighth and final chapter of the Masachat deal with issues of declarations, various declarations that the Torah obligates us to make under certain circumstances and whether or not they need to be in, in the original language or they can be in any language. Uh, that will be the topic of the first Mishnah and the first set of Mishnayot. And uh, the first two Mishnayot will lay out the general uh, lists, and then the rest of the Mishnayot will go into details about the items on those lists. Uh, on those lists. Uh, we will study the first four Mishnayot, although in Mishnah Bet we're only going to mention a couple of the items. We'll read through the Mishnah, but not go into detail on the later items, which will be dealt with in later pieces of the Gemara. Mishnah Aleph. Now, again, many of the first five Mishnayot are all listed on together, grouped together at the beginning of the parak, but we will not go through all of them. Eulin and Marin Bechol The following can be said in any language. Parashat Sota. Parashat Sota means the oath of the Sota. Vidui Maaser. Take a look in Dvarim Parak Chavav, near the beginning of what we refer to as Seder Kitavo, Parashat Kitavo. And we'll find that on the third and sixth years, on Erev of Pesach, third and six years of the Shemitah cycle, a person has to clean all of his Masrot out of his house. It's called Biur Masrot and make a declaration known as Vidui Maaser. That can be said in any language. Kriyat familiar with that. Tfilah, davening, Uvichat Hamazon, saying blessing after a meal. Ushvata Idut, the oath taken when somebody claims that another person knows testimony which will help him, and the other person refuses to testify, detailed in the fourth chapter of Masachat Shvuot, Ushvuat Pikadon, an oath administered to someone who was entrusted with an item and then claims that it was stolen or in some other way exempts him from payment, the mafkid, um, the one who entrusted him with it, may administer an oath. Okay, those can be said in any language. We'll see why. The following must be said in Hebrew. Mikrab Bikurim, which is at the beginning of Parshat Kitavo, when a person brings Bikurim in the summer to the Beit HaMikdash, in the summer and the fall, there is a declaration that under most circumstances he will say, it's quite famous, it's used in the Haggadah Shal Pesach, it is in Perak Chavav of Sefer Tzvarim Psukim Hei through Chet, through, through Yod actually, um, Chalitza, the declaration of the woman when uh, the chalitza ceremony is done to uh, free her uh, from the uh, from the avam, uh, which uh, effectively curtails the avam's opportunity to fulfill his um, his uh, responsibility towards his brother's fraternal responsibility. Brachot Klalot, which we will deal with in the next podcast, uh, and in Mishnah Hay. That is the entire ceremony that took place up on Har Grizim and Harival when Bnei Israel entered Eretz Israel. It's a one-time piece. Berchat Kohanim, Berchat Kohanim, the blessing the Kohanim give every day in Eretz Israel, and according to Minhag Sfarad, everywhere in the world, and according to Ashmina Gashkenaz and Chutzlaretz, only on Musaf of Chag. Berchat Kohanim must be said in the original. Berchat Kohen Gadol, that's the brachot the Kohen Gadol makes. Uh, on Yom Kippur, after his public reading of the Torah, we studied about that in Masachet Yoma, or Parashat HaMelech, which is the Parashat HaKel, the procedure of HaKel done, read by the Melech, at the uh, Sukkot of the eighth year. Uh, it's coming up in a few months. So Parashat Egla Arufa, if a um, homicide victim 
an unknown killer is found in a rural area, then the closest town comes out, the Beit Din comes out, there's a ceremony, that will be the focus of the beginning of the last chapter. The focus of the penultimate chapter, the next chapter, is about the um, the Kohen who is appointed to address the troops, uh, when he addresses the troops and says, who is the man who uh, has built a house and hasn't lived, lived in it, etc., uh, and to encourage them, um, he speaks in Lashon HaKodesh. Okay, Mishnah Gimel and Dalad will explicate some of the items in Mishnah Bet. Mikrabi Kurim Ketzad. And the Ketzad here doesn't mean how do you do it, but rather how do we know that Mikrabi Kurim must be said in Ivrit. Ketzad ve'anita ve'amarta In the uh, command of Mikrabi Kurim, it says you shall respond and say, so far that tells us nothing. In the parsha of Brachot Uklalot, which again we'll deal with in the next podcast, says, The Levim shall respond and say. So you have those two verbs, to respond and to say, which, as we will find out later, we know that was to be said in Hebrew. We'll know the source for that. So therefore, from, since it says, and we know that that one has to be said in the original, Therefore, any time that you have the verb la'anot and the verb lemor put together, that means it has to be in the original in Hebrew. So Mikrabi Kurim uh, succeeds that test. Chalitza Ketzad, how, how do we know about Chalitza? Ve'anta ve'amra. Again, you have the same thing, that the woman comes to the Beitin when we find out that the, uh, that the putative Yavam refuses to do Yibum. Uh, the Yivama comes and so she comes to the court and she says, she responds and says, My, this man refuses to have Yibum with me, right? Again, we go back to Brachot Uklalot, Rabbi Yehuda agrees with Halacha, but he has a different source. The fact is that the text says, This is what should be done to a man who refuses to build his brother's house and spits, etc. Right? So he says the word kacha means she has to say it exactly this way. Kacha, this way, and not in a translation of this way. Okay, those are the Mishnah we're going to deal with today. Skip ahead, please, to the Gemara. Parshat Sota Menalan. How do we know the Parshat Sota can be said in any language? <coughs> the Kohen shall say to the woman, and he administers the oath. Meaning, meaning to say alone, that verb alone, to say means any way that you say it, as long as you understand it, the other person understands it, that's fine. Now, we have an explication on this. We make sure it's a language she understands. And we tell her, which means the coin says more than just what's written in the text. He tells her why she's drinking and what she's going to be drinking out of. And also to clarify to her why she became Tmeah, if she did, and in what circumstances she considered Tmeah. And we'll see what that means. Why is she drinking? Because there's Kinun Steer before, and she should understand that it's not just because somebody suspects her of something, but there was a formal process in advance. What's she going to drink out of? Out of this lowly earthenware piece, which allows us to teach the entire Midah Kinegin Midah piece. Why is she Tmeah? Because she was uh, acting with levity and uh, with carelessness, etc. 
And in what circumstances is she tmeah? So we ask her, Beshogig of Mezid, Baonis of Ratzon. Perhaps it was unintentional, perhaps you were forced, etc. Why do we do all this? So again, this concern that keeps popping up, that there should not be a false report about the Maimamarim, and people will think that they don't work. In other words, the concern is that the woman um, will have uh, had an inadvertent uh, thing where she thought it was her husband or she didn't understand what was going on, and the waters won't work, and she'll say, aha, the waters wouldn't, don't work at all, which means they don't even work even if it's intentional. So you have to clarify, the water's only going to happen if you did this intentionally, and you did it willfully, and you were aware of what you were doing, etc. All right, vidui ma'aser. The next item on the list is vidui ma'aser that can be said in any language. And truth to tell, we're now done with sota for the masachet. Uh, that little piece was our tie-in to the entire chapter, which was uh, about all these things that are said in either any language or in Lashon HaKodesh. Vidui Maser, and Dichtiv, in the parsha Vidui Maser, it says, V'amarta, again, V'amarta, without La'anot, without the verb La'anot. V'amarta, lifnei Adonai Recha, V'yarti HaKodesh Minabait, etc. And please take a look, if you have the opportunity, in Perak Chavab, Sukim Yud Betanan, look at the parsha Vidui Maser, and you'll see what it is that the person is claiming. Now, Note that in Vidui Masrot, a person is claiming things about themselves, which, about himself, which are quite laudatory. I've done the right thing. I mean, it's okay. But in the Parsha of Mikurikurim, the focus is not on himself, but rather on the national history, which is a history of difficulty culminating in the successful arrival in Eretz Israel and the sex- successful harvest of these fruits. Uh, well, that'll come up in a minute. Uh, Amira Misota. So it says Amarta, and we learn Amira from Sota, via Amarha Kohen, Shuhumer. Same thing. Now, Amarlea Zvila Bayi, Vileila Famira Milavim. So Razvid said, Why don't we learn Amira from the Levim? It says, Amru, the Levim say, Malala Mashanakodesh, Afkam Mashanakodesh, and require Vidu Masrod to be in Hebrew. The, and the reason that this is a reasonable uh, challenge is because I understand in Soto why it has to be in any language, because their main focus is she understands. But here, it's a ritual statement, and as long as the declarant has a general sense of what he's saying, obviously HaKadosh Baruch Hu understands, so there'd be no reason not to formalize it and put it just like Mikra Bikurim into, into Ivrit. So what's his answer? Danin Amira Gredeta Me Amira Gredeta. We have the just the word, as I pointed out, Amira in Vidui Masrot, and we have just the word Amira um, in uh, in um, Parshat Sota, and so therefore those two now are a conduit and a, comp- a comparison, so that uh, we can infer from Parshat Sota that Vidui Masrot is in English, in English or any other language. We do not infer from a case where it says la'anot velomar amra and apply that to amira alone. Amra is a different category. That means that there's a a uh, demand that the language be exact and according to the original. Now, Tanya Rashim We have a beautiful homily on this. Adam Omer Shivcho Namuch. A man speaks his own praise quietly, ugnuto b'kol ram, but his own disgrace out loud. We'll see what this is. Shivcho b'kol namuch min viduyem maaser. As the sense is that v'yamartai is also a quiet thing. It's said in your own house. You just say it between you and God. I did I did good stuff. Ugnuto b'kol ram, but you say your disgrace out loud. Mimikrab b'kurim, which has a formal declaration, and it's Hebrew, and more significantly, it's in the Beit HaMikdash. 
Now, Ugnutoba Koram. So we have two questions on this. First of all, is it true that you're supposed to speak your own disgrace out loud? And second of all, is Mikra Bikurim really an example of disgrace? So let's tackle the first thing. Why did the rabbis establish that tefillah be silent? So the people who sin shouldn't be embarrassed. A person did a sin. They come before HaKadosh Baruch Hu and they plead and they beg and they cry, but their words aren't heard by anyone else, so no one knows if they're crying because someone's sick or they're crying because they sinned or they're crying because they're worried about Am Yisrael's future for whatever reason, and therefore nobody will know. And what's the um, precedent for that in the Torah? The Torah did not distinguish between where a Korban Ola is slaughtered in the Beit HaMikdash on the north side and where a Chatat is slaughtered in the Beit HaMikdash, also on the north side. So that if somebody is a sinner and he comes to the Beit HaMikdash, other people don't have to know about it, they can think it's an Ola. We'll look at that in a minute. Uh, but first, we have to examine the issue of Mikra Bikurim. So, lo So, rather, don't say, don't say that we're talking about a person's disgrace, but rather about a person's pain. That you say out loud, and that we'll see a very good example of uh, from uh, the Parsha of Mitzorah, but that also explains Mikra Bikurim, which does not, de- does, not talk, does not speak about a person or even national discredit, although it's utilized that way in the Mishnah Pesachim, but rather it's about national pain and travails. That you could speak out loud, that you could say out loud. Kiritanya, and here's the model, Vitame Tamei Yikra, that in Mitzorah has to call out Tamei Tamei, you have to let people know that he's in pain, that this guy's out of the camp and that he's uh, uh, Tamei. So people will ask Rachamim for him. When we hear that somebody's sick, we publicize it, we get the name out, so people can ask uh, ask Rachamim, ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to heal them, say Tehillim, etc. Anybody who had something bad happen to him has to let people know. That's the rule. And let everybody daven for you. Good, so now we've clarified both things. Mikrabi Kurim really is not about Gnut, it's about Sar, and therefore it's a good model that it's said out loud publicly. Okay, now, Gufa, Amrav Yocham, Mishum, Mishum, Yochai, Menemim, Matignut, Filah, Balachash. We go back to that issue of why Filah was made, instead of Balachash, Shalol, Levayashet, Ovre, Avera. So it's not to embarrass people who are sinners. Because the Torah had the Korban Chatat and the Korban Olah brought in a sacrifice in the same place. Velo? But is there really no distinction? Vaika damim, the blood of the Ola goes on the upper side of the Mizbeach. Sorry, the blood of the Chatat goes above the Chutasikra, the line that goes around, and the blood of the Ola goes below. So they are distingu- distinguished. Dam Chatat Lamala, Dam Ola Lamata. So the answer is Hatam Hakoin Hudiyada. Yeah, but the onlooker doesn't know which blood that is. Only the coin carrying it knows which blood it is. So the so the onlooker sees some dachatadam because they see it going above, and oladam they see it going below. But they don't know that that belongs to this guy or that guy, or and therefore the sinner's identity is still uh, is still masked. Uh, but even when you bring the animal in, a chatat is generally, there's some exceptions to this, generally a, uh, a female lamb and a, um, and an olah is a male, a ram. So the answer is, uh, that part is covered with a tail. You can't look at a, a lamb straight up and know if it's a ewe or a ram because the tail covers up the genitalia. And therefore, when the person brings it in, nobody knows if he's bringing in an Ola or Chatat. 
So, tenach kivsa, that only works for a lamb. What if he brings a goat, which is a much cheaper animal? So the answer is, there he's shaming himself. He should have brought a finer animal, a lamb, instead he brought a goat. Uh, so therefore, he had every opportunity to keep his identity masked. He chose not to by being cheap. Now, but what are you going to do about a korban chatat brought when you do avodazara, which is has to be a sa'ir, and therefore its uh, genitalia will be exposed, and the fact that it's a si'ira tells everybody that it's a chatat. The answer is, there we're interested that he be shamed. Why? Here he did something really terrible. He did avodazara. So therefore, to achieve greater kapara, he also has to suffer the pain of the uh, exposure, as it were, um, and people knowing, and, and therefore the shame. Okay, the next item mentioned was kriyachma. Kriyachma, by the way, ra- uh, raises a very big problem because of particular words in the parsha that are very difficult um, to uh, to translate. I will add a link onto this shear to a shear I wrote a number of years ago about the uh, the Rambam's approach to the issue of Kriyashma Bacholashon. Uh, so that should be linked on the uh, on the on the page of the podcast. Um, okay, Manalan, how do we know Kriyatshma can be said in every, any language? And we will find out that not everyone agrees with that halacha. Dichtiv Shema Yisrael. How does it open up? Shema Shema in in the Torah means three different things. It has uh, at least three meanings. One of them is to hear, meaning the auditory experience of hearing. One is to understand, um, and the third one is to obey. Uh, that depends on the preposition that follows, the Shmua Bikol, right, but, uh, etc. But no, that, those are the three possible meanings that it has. Truth to tell, the word Shma as to understand is much more of a rabbinic meaning, but nonetheless it's being invoked here. Meaning, any language you understand, that's how you can make the declaration. So let's see the brighter. Rebbe disagrees and says, Kriyachma has to be read the same way it's written in Hebrew. Chachamim omrim b'chol lashon. Chachamim say, as our Mishnah said, in any language. Now, my time at the Rebbe, why does Rebbe say it has to be in Hebrew? The Torah says, Vayu advarim ha'ila. These words must be on your heart. Meaning, b'havayaton yeho. They have to be the way that they are. You have to read them the way that they are presented. Uh, which is Shema Yisrael, not Hero Israel, or whatever, however might translate it. V'rabbanan, what do the Rabbanan do? Uh, what's their source? I'm a Shema, as we saw earlier, the word Shema for them dictates the language. Any language you understand. Now, so now we got, we're going to play ping pong. The Rabbanan have to face the Pasuk, the word Vahayu, which Rebbe used to say it must be in Hebrew. What are they going to do with it? That Vahayu is there to tell you that you cannot read Kriyachma out of order. Vahayu means it has to be the way it is. So where does Rebbe get that principle from, that it can't be read out of order? Because we all agree with the Mishnah in the second parak of Brachot, that the Kriyachma must not be said out of order. What out of order is, is a uh, wide dispute. Um, according to some, it's reading the Parshiot out of order. According to others, it's reading words within a Pasuk out of order. Nafkalemidvarim haddvarim. So Rabbi says, I agree with the principle, but I get it from somewhere else. It says, Vahayu haddvarim ha'ele. Rabbi says, it could have said, Vahayu dvarim ha'ele. Haddvarim ha'ele, these exact words, shall we say, tells you that it has to be in order. This is often how one of these 
midrashic back and forths ends, as I want to say, we don't believe that the word Haddvarim is much different than Dvarim. That distinction is not enough to make a drasha out of, and therefore that wouldn't be our source. Therefore, Vahayu is our source, and it's not a source for the language. That's Shema, and it tells us any language. Now, let's go back. Rebbe also has to face the word Shema. Rebbe Nami Haktiv Shema. So, Rabbi says, Shema is not there for the meaning of understanding, but for the meaning of auditory experience. You have to hear the words. When you say Shema, you have to hear the words yourself. Not somebody else, but you have to hear them. The Rabbanan disagree, and they say that we all like the opinion that if you said Kriyat Shema and did not hear the words, then Yatsa, that's a machlok at Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yossi in the Mishnah in the second chapter of Brachot. So both sides now are being adopted. Now, so that's the presentation. Now we're going to analyze what Rabbi and Rabbanan believe about the Kolatar Kula. Rabbi Kolatar to clarify what Nemra means, but let us assume for a minute that Rabbi says that the rest of the Torah was given in order to be declared in any language. In other words, it was given as a as a series of concepts, and any public reading that must be made, including Kriyat Torah, as Rashi points out, can be done in any language. Why? Because if you think that Rebbe holds that Kola Torah Kula has to be said then what does the Torah have to go out of its way to say in Kriyat Vahayu? In other words, if Kola Tarakula was given in order to be read in, in Ivrit, then the Torah doesn't have to add a new word about Kriyat Shema to say it's also be Ivrit. The answer is it's Tarich, Mishum Nechtiv Shema. You do need Vayu, because Shema Yisrael also has the word Shema. And according to Rebbe, I might have errantly believed that Shema permits uniquely this part should be read in, in any language. Therefore, Vayu brings it back to the fold. Now, we'll flip it. Perhaps the Rabbanon hold the Kola Torah Kula was given in order to be said because if you think that the Kola Torah Kula was, uh, was permitted to be said in any language, why did the Torah have to go out of its way and say Shema Yisrael? After all, every part of the Torah could be said in any language. And the answer is obvious. Because again, it's a counterbalance because the Torah says Vahayu in the Rabbanon's world, I might have mistakenly thought that Vahayu creates a extra desideratum of reading Kriyat Shema in Ivrit. Therefore, Shema is there to bring it back to uh, the norm, which is to read in every language. Bottom line is, we don't know what Rebbe and Rabbanon believe, and we have no reason to think uh, believe about Kola Torakula, and we have no reason to think that our sugya could shed any light on that, or that they disagree at all. Now, Tefillah. The Mishnah said that tefillah is said in any language. So rachamihi, that's clear. You don't need a pasuk for that. It's prayer. However you can pray, however you can express your feelings and your desires, you should pray. Is that really true, though, that you can pray in any language? A person should never present his request in Aramaic. Why? Rabbi Yochanan said, if you make requests, the Malachi Asharit don't pay attention. And this builds on the image within the world of angelology, and yes, that's a real world word, that, um, that the Malachim assist Tfilot to come to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That is something that the Rishonim certainly are divided on, but that's the presentation, at least of this piece of the Gemara. And therefore, since Malachi Asharit pay no attention to Aramaic, if you ask in Aramaic, it's not going to help. Because they don't know Aramaic. 
So how do we rectify that? We, how do we reconcile that when the Mishnah said tefillah is b'chol lashon? One way of answering it would be b'chol lashon except for Aramit, and then you'd have to posit that Aramit itself is somewhat of a deficient language relative to others. The Gemara here does not go in that direction. It says lokasha, habiachid habetzibur. When you're davening on your own, you have to daven in, in, in Ivrit because the Malach Yashar have to help you tefillah. When you're davening B'tzibur with the community, you don't have to daven Bivrit. You can have a formal uh, tefillot in another language because you don't need the Malachim because HaKadosh Baruch Hu hears directly the tefillah B'tzibur. That's the way Rashi reads this Gemara. All right, now, parenthetically, is it really true the angels are not familiar with Aramaic? We have two stories. Yochanan Kohen Gadol, the famous Yochanan Kohen Gadol, 1st century BCE. The young men have beaten, it's an Aramaic thing that he heard in the, coming out of the Kodesh Kodoshim, the young men, so the young lambs as it were, that went to go battle in, in uh, Antioch have won. Veshuv Masa B'Shimon HaTzadik, there's another story of Shimon HaTzadik, this goes back now to the 4th century BCE, Shema Bat Komet Kodesh HaKodoshim, Shomer, Betelat Avidata, he heard a, another, Bat Kol that came out and said, De Amar that the men um, who had gone out, Gaskalas, uh, had been killed, and his decrees were, uh, were canceled. And, uh, and uh, again, news from the front. And they, in both cases, they wrote down exactly the moment that they heard the sound. This voice, and they heard it in Aramaic, and it turned out, meaning that they checked, and the event had happened at exactly that point. So this was clearly some divine message that they were given from far away that a certain fortunes had happened on the battlefront, um, and uh, it was in Aramaic. So how can you say the angels don't know? So you could say that a batkol is different than angels. Whatever a batkol is, it's sort of a shadow of a faint shadow of prophecy. The Ashmuyavida, because the whole point of a batkol is so people should understand. So it was said in the language people understand. The other possibility is Gavriel Have. Gavriel is a special malach. Um, Famous story about Yosef. When Yosef was, uh, we had this in the first parak. When Yosef was in um, was in prison, Gavriel came and taught him seventy lashon, so that when Yosef rose to greatness, he had one up over Pharaoh, and that's why he was able to sort of blackmail Pharaoh and say, "If uh, you try to get me to release my, my to be released from my oath to bury my father in Canaan, I'm going to get released from my oath to not tell people that you don't know lashon hakodesh and that I know more languages than you." Okay. Birchat Amazon. says any language. You eat, you're satisfied, you have to bless God. Meaning, any language you can use to bless God is fine. Shvuata edut. If somebody knows testimony about another, if a person sins and they hear a uh, the sound of something, or a sound of a, a deal being made. In this case, the sound of an oath. Meaning, any language that you uh, that you hear it in. That uh, that therefore and therefore it rolls forward that shvuatai dut also can be administered in any language. Shvuata pikadon atir techta techta mi shvuatai dut. They point out on the page you have the word techta 
in the context of Shuat Eidut, if a person sins and refuses to testify, and later on in that same parak in Vayikrahe, in the context of Shuat Apikadon, et nefesh ki tachta, umala mal, v'chichesh pamito, etc., uvachikadon, if a person steals, or has a pikadon, or something else, etc., and then they take an oath, and so the, the word, the common word tachta ties this to Shuat Eidut, which is in any language. Now, the beginning of the second half, the beginning of Parag Bet, is Ve'ilun Kodesh, Mikra Bikurim Chalitza, and Mikra Bikurim Ketzad. So we, the Gemara here says, okay, that's fine, Mishnah Bet, let's go to Mishnah Gimel. That's all a direct quote from the Mishnah, Mishnah Gimel. Now, Levim Gufayim and Island, and now they ask the question, how do I know that the Levim spoke Lashon HaKodesh, that you're saying, because I know Levim spoke Lashon HaKodesh, I now know that Mikro Bikurim is Lashon HaKodesh. Alright, so the answer is, um Kol Ram, it says the Levim answered Kol Ram in a loud voice, Uchtiv Hatam, Moshe Daber, Nenu Vakol. At Har Sinai, Moshe spoke, and God responded, Bakol. Malan Lashon HaKodesh, Afkan Lashon HaKodesh, therefore that Kol, was Belashon HaKodesh, clearly. Therefore, the call of the Levim was also Belashon HaKodesh, which, of course, would make sense, all Am Yisrael's together. And therefore, we go from there to Mikra Bikurim, because of Vianna, Vianita, Vianmarta. Now, Chalitza Ketzad, remember, we have Machlokot about Chalitza. Everyone agrees Chalitza, the woman's declaration, has to be said in Hebrew. Me'en has to say that in, in the original. But the question is what the source is. Now, Rabbi Yehuda said he gets it from Kacha. So, Rabbanan, hai Kacha mayavdile. What do Rabbanan do with Kacha? So, in Bayalu, they, they, they're for some reason not willing to say Kacha is just part of her declaration. She said, this is what must be done to him. Right? Because the truth is that she could have said, Ko What's Kacha? In Masachet Yivamot, in 12th parak, parak Chalitza, means Chalitza, Machloket, which components of Chalitza are Ma'akev? If a um, if the woman takes off a shoe but doesn't spit and doesn't make the declaration, if the woman uh, takes off the shoe and uh, and makes and and spits but doesn't make the declaration, are all three necessary? Only one necessary to create chalitza. And so the Rabbanon's position is those things which are actions are ma'akev. Taking off the shoe and spitting are ma'akev. The kriya is not ma'akev, and they got it from kacha ye'ase. Kacha as an ikuva, as we saw in Masachet Yoma. Kacha is in ikuva, meaning anytime it says kacha, means this must be done, and if not, it fails. And it says kacha yeaseh, therefore only actions are ma'akiv. For Behuda, mikol kacha. Behuda says, that I would learn from the fact that it doesn't say ko yeaseh, but kacha. For Abonan, ko kacha lomashvalu. Again, the same thing, the same ending. They do not read the difference between ko and kacha as being significant, and therefore they say there's only one drasha, and that drasha is that it's Ma'akev. He agrees it's Ma'akev, but he gets it from the nuance of Kohen Kacha. Therefore, Rabbanan have totally exhausted the use of the word Kacha, and therefore they rely on V'yantav Yamrat. Now, what does Rabbi Yudah do with V'yantav Yamrat? Rabbi Yudah, hi V'yantav Yamrat, Mayavidlei. What does he do with that? So he turns it inside out. He uses Chalitza now as the model to tell me that the Levim speak Poloshan HaKodesh. The Levim at Brachot HaKlod, HaGrizim and HaRival. Why? In other words, he says, Kacha tells me it has to be said this way in Lashon HaKodesh. And, and the, and the, uh, the Chalutza, the, uh, regarding her, it says, Viantav Viamra. 
Therefore, anytime it says Lanot for I know that it's a Hebrew from Chalitza. Therefore, I know the Levim. And that's where everything uh, devolves from. So, Moshe. So, why doesn't Rabbi Yehuda do what we just did, which is to learn the call from Moshe Let that be the model, and let that go to Levim, and then we don't need Chalitza for that. The answer is Ania Ania Gamir, Kol Kol Lo Gamir. He didn't have a tradition that the word Kol can be used as that kind of analogy, that the Kol of Moshe Debev Halim Yadon Bekol, and Vanu Alvim Vanu Vanu Alvim Kol Ram Vamru, that the Levim could say Bekol, that those two connect. But Ania Ania he had. So therefore, Ve'anta, Ve'amra, in Chalitza, and then Ve'anu Halvim, connect, and that reads us back to Ve'anita, Ve'amarta, in Mikra Bikurim, etc. Tanyana Mi'achir, Be'udah Omer, Koma, Koma, Shnema, Ko, Kacha, Ania, Ve'amira. Anytime it says Ko, like Ko, Tavarchud, B'nai Yisrael, this, thus, shall you bless, Kacha, this is the way, Ania, Ve'amira, now Ve'amira is not two separate things, one, Ania, Ve'amira, together, Etzel HaShan HaKodesh, Ko is Ko, Tavarchud, Echad Konim. Kacha is Chalitza, and Aniyav Amira to Levim, and then from there, of course, to Mikra Bikurim. Okay, we've completed our study of Mishnah Aleph, Bet, Gimel, and Dalid, and now in the next podcast, we will begin our, our study of Mishnah Hay. We'll go back to Mishnah Hay in the Mishnayot, and then begin to study the Gemara, which will take us two podcasts uh, to cover the Sugya of the Brachot Uklalot, uh, after which we will then move on. Sorry, it will take us four more pod, three or four more podcasts to get to that point. After which we will get to Mishnah Vav and the Sugya of Birchat Kohanim. Everyone should have a wonderful day.